0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to get Onyx Maps on your phone, you need to get Onyx Maps on your phone and I'm going to tell you why. Number one. I am the kind of guy who likes to know where I'm at at all times, and I like to do a lot of running and gunning. So there's times where access is very important for me, knowing where I was at, knowing how to get to a specific location, especially in the dark of morning or night, getting in and getting out. And the best part for me is that I have GPS on my phone, and Onyx allows you to leave basically breadcrumbs uh, and leave a trail or your access routes on your phone, save those access routes, and then use your GPS going in and out of your tree stand locations every single day. And it's awesome because you won't get lost in the dark. And I use that so much, that little portion in itself, so much throughout the season that uh, it's probably the most useful function of of that app. Now, you can also leave waypoints like where your trail cameras are at, where your tree stands are at, where you see scrapes and rubs, or marking trailheads or campsites. The, this is the perfect app for a do it yourself hunter. I mean, really for all hunters, because it allows you to journal your properties that you hunt. Right. And uh, the more information you have, the more successful you will be on a yearly basis because you keep gathering data and gathering data and gathering data. And soon you'll see trends in that data. And those trends will lead you to hunting more efficiently and becoming more successful, in my opinion. So go to Onyx or wherever you download your apps, pick up Onyx, and you can use the discount code NATION20. N-A-T-I-O-N 20, and save 20% off for first-time users. Onyx Maps. Hello,
1: and welcome to episode 69 of the Ohio Huntsman podcast. And today, it's just Jacob and I, but we talk about eating wild game, cooking and eating wild game. So we just wrapped up gun season, so hopefully you've got some venison in the freezer, and so we thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about eating wild game and different ways to prepare it, ways that we like to prepare it. And we, we obviously talk about venison, but we also talk about other wild game because there's other wild game to eat out there. So that's what this episode's about. Like I said, some recipes, different ways that we like to prepare. Uh, we, we, we talk about a few cuts or pieces that, that often get overlooked, but are really good. And there will be links in the show notes to videos, cookbooks. We mentioned a lot of that stuff in this one about, you know, how to do a venison shoulder roast or, you know, and, and so we'll link to those videos or the cookbooks where we found those recipes, that sort of thing in the show notes on this one so that you guys can find all that and and reference all of that so before we get into that i want to talk about our sponsor maston's deer Scent. so they are a premium deer scent company and basically they've got what you need when it comes to scent so if you like using scent to get deer in front of your cameras works great for that if you need a cover scent, they've got a, a Smell Like a Deer cover scent that, that works great. We've had good success with that. They've got, you know, we're, we're kind of past the rut, but they've got great rut scents, estrus, and, and one they call the Buck Reaper. And they've got different ways of using the scent. So they've got scented gel crystals. They've got scented candles. They've got their double scent stacker that you can put a scented candle in and then a liquid scent on top and the the candle heats the scent. And so you can kind of layer scents. So great Deer Scent Company. It's a great product. The prices are really good. So we're happy to have them as a sponsor. And if you use scent, I would encourage you to check them out. So there'll be a link in the show notes for how to get in touch with them. You just go to their website, mastinsdeerscents.com and order right from their website, and they'll ship it right to your house. So with that, let's get into this episode about eating and cooking wild game. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is... Is the Ohio Huntsman podcast? Are you listening? All right. So today it's Jacob and I, and we are going to talk about eating, cooking. Um, we're we're actually recording this the what is today? The Friday before Thanksgiving. So we've we've got food on the mind. This is going to release well after Thanksgiving, but. We're recording it the Friday before Thanksgiving, so food on the brain. And so we thought it would be a good time to talk about wild food, wild game, cooking and eating wild game. Some of our favorite recipes, different ways to prepare, different cuts. Um, so that's kind of the main topic for today. Before we get into that, though, we've got some some listener questions. Uh, listener mail, I don't know what I want to call it, listener um, questions, and a couple of just kind of things I guess I want to talk about before we get into the main topic. So if you guys listened to our hunting etiquette episode, that was episode 66. If you didn't, go back and listen to it. It's a good episode. From that episode, we had some people reach out to us with some of their uh, hunting etiquette scenarios right things that have happened to them and they wanted our input on it we asked for that in the episode and so we've we've got some of that content or some of those questions I guess and so one of them that I thought was particularly interesting was uh this guy says he hunts county parks so it's a it's a parks hunt and it says so to other hunters and so I don't know exactly how he doesn't say what County. Um, and so I don't know exactly how the parks hunt works. Our experience with parks hunts is you get drawn and you are allowed to pick a handful of buddies to go in there with you. Right. So in, into your zone, you're awarded a particular zone that you're allowed to hunt. It's got very clear boundaries You're allowed in here and not in the neighboring zone or any of the other zones. You get one zone, you get it for a portion of the season, and then you have to get all your stuff out of there and the next group of guys come in. So it sounds like our experience with parks hunts is a little different than this. um, In that the, the other guys that are hunting these parks aren't necessarily picked by this guy that submitted the question. So he says he, he hunts County parks. So to other hunters and they're allowed to bait and put up trail cameras. So, you know, he did his homework. He scouted, found a good place, set up his feeder and stand. And it looks like, yeah, he was able, basically had success early. The second time he hunted his stand, he shot a doe. Now here's where the, etiquette or um, ethics question comes in, Jake. And so I'm going to kind of summarize this and then and then we'll kind of comment on it. So he says, a few days later, he gets an email from a, another hunter in the program who shot a doe by his feeder and he says, quote, not my stand. So this other hunter shot a doe basically while hunting from his feeder but not hunting out of his stand he also mentioned that he pulled the card from his trail camera so this this mystery hunter if you will pulled the card out of the original hunter's camera to see if it would show where he hit the deer and where it went and he wants our input on it so what he thinks that that was uh not cool so Jake, I guess, what are your, what are your thoughts on, did I, did I do a good job summarizing this and what are your, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think you summarized it pretty well. Basically the guy, the listener, like you said, got a dough early and then another guy, we're not clear if it's a, it didn't make it sound like it's a buddy of his. It sounds no. like it's another guy in the program, but somehow they do have a way of communicating. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, in terms of the feeder, uh, I mean, I don't know. It depends how big the area is. You know what I mean? If it's a huge area where all the guys have room to spread out, that's probably a little more out of bounds versus if it's 20 acres and his feeder is right in the middle of it. You know what I mean? Like if it's just yeah. a small chunk and this guy set a feeder up, right in the middle where a gas line and a power line cross where, you know, the deer are going to be moving. You know what I mean? You can't kind of lay claim to the whole chunk of woods. Right. Um, but again, I'm making, we have no idea. I'm making assumptions. So the feeder part doesn't really grind my gears too much. Um, I'm really anti don't touch my stuff. Like the whole camera thing bothers me. Um, you know, that's not your trail camera. That's not your memory card, especially if you don't really know the guy. There's a lot of dishonest people out there, um, you know, and I just that part. I don't I think that's out of bounds. You don't touch my trail. Don't touch my stuff type thing. Yeah, <laughs> um,
1: Yeah.
2: I would I would agree. I, I think
1: the feet, you know, it's it's like I guess I kind of view it like setting up a feeder on public ground, you know, like uh, He's got just as much right to be there. Um, I, I don't know that I would do it, right? Somebody—that's somebody else's setup. I, I, I would feel kind of like cheating to me, right? Uh, unless, right. like you said, it's a small chunk and there's really nowhere else to hunt, you know? Because if you say, "Well, you can't hunt over my feeder," that's that's poor hunting etiquette or, or unethical. Where's the line, right? How far away do you have to be from the the feeder before? Right. Right. They're, they're coming to the feeder. Right. And so So whether you're hunting next to the feeder or 50 yards from the feeder, but still catching deer coming to the feeder, you know, I mean, it's, so I don't, I don't so much have an issue with shooting a deer over his feeder. It's, you know, it is what it is, I guess. I don't know that I would do it, but it's, you know.
0: I... Yeah,
2: that like I said, the feeder part, like you said, it's, it, you know, like you could, okay, you don't want me to hunt your feeder. Like you said, I'll back off 50 yards and just hunt the trail they're going to walk to the feeder. Right, yeah. So it's really still your feeder. Yeah. It's <laughs> bringing them in or whatever. So, like I said, the feeder doesn't grind my gears or get me as worked up, but the trail camera part where he... You know, went into his camera and pulled his card to try to see where he had hit the deer. That to me is a stretch. Um, I don't, you know what I mean. If if that's really what you're after, if you're concerned about it, clearly you have a way to get a hold of me. So get a hold of me and say, hey, I hit this deer. I'm not sure where I hit it. I can't find blood. Do you mind if I pull your camera to take a look?
1: Exactly. That's where I'm at. Right. He's obviously got a way to get in touch with the guy. And and I guess to the the flip side of, a, of it, right? He he did tell him, like, hey, just so you know, I, I shot a deer over your feeder and I poked around in your camera. He you know, he could have just not done any of that, right? And and right. the the listener may have never been the wiser. But don't touch my camera, right? I, I don't you know it's people steal these things, they wa- they grow legs and walk away and you know, obviously this guy didn't steal it, but that's that's where I I, I think he, you know the line was kind of crossed, right? He it's uh, that's sort of private property. Inv- yeah, you know, I know it's on public ground, but it's my thing, right? Don't don't mess with it. I guess unless, like you said, you've got a way to get in touch with the guy. Shoot him an email, send him a t- you know phone call or whatever. Hey man, I see you got a camera here. Would you mind if I looked at it? I'm trying to find this deer. Right. So.
2: Yeah, right. I, I guess I, I guess I didn't really think of it. But the fact that he even reached out to him and told him what happened is, I guess, kind of good on him a little bit. Because like you said, he could have just shot a deer off his feeder and never no one ever would have known the difference. Right. Other than he's got a camera up there. So he probably would have saw the guy coming in and out. But, yeah, um, you know, I. But yeah, I just, the camera is what gets me, you know, don't, don't touch my camera. Don't, you don't, you know, that's private property. What's, I mean, for all you know, that SD card could have other information on it. You don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can store a lot of stuff on an SD card. It's not necessarily all going to be trail camera pictures. Yeah. So now you're digging into my stuff. And what if I have personal information on that card? Yeah. Granted, you know, you probably shouldn't put personal information in a trail camera that's on public land, but. Yeah. Still, it's, you know, I lock my cameras up, I lock them shut, and I lock them into a tree.
1: Yeah, you use separate locks, right? You use, like, a cable lock to lock it to the tree, and then just, like, a regular key lock to lock the camera shut, right?
2: Yeah, depending on the style of the camera. Some of the cameras now, the, like, lever that you have to flip to open the door, your cable lock, it has a spot where your cable lock will run through that, so you can't flip the lever without undoing the cable lock. But another one of my cameras, yeah, has a separate I cable lock it to the tree. And then there's a separate spot on the little door. It's a Browning camera on the little lever you flip to open the door to access it. That's got a spot where I'd put just a little master lock. Again, if you're really looking to steal it, none of that's going to stop you pair of bolt cutters or, you know, whatever yeah, you could easily get it. It's just going to stop the dishonest guy who's happens to be strolling through the woods. Right. I mean, if you're coming in to steal my camera, nothing is going to stop you.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But I've had cameras disappear though. So that's why I do that.
1: Right. Yeah. It's a, like you said, it's a deterrent. It's not going to stop somebody that finds it and has, you know, malicious intent and is going to go back to you know, a shop and get a, like you said, get a pair of bolt cutters and come back. It's, it'll be gone. But so another thing I wanted to touch on is this. So we got this email about this ODNR investigation that led to arrests for, or an arrest, I guess for timber theft, which I guess the reason I wanted to touch on this was because I didn't even realize that timber theft was a thing. So apparently, what I can gather from this this email, and this is a you know their public release you know information. So it says a Ross County resident was recently convicted and sentenced for stealing timber from Tar Hollow and Sciota Trail State Forests and from several private properties in the area. So basically, it sounds like this guy was cutting trees down, taking the valuable lower section of the tree, the main trunk, hauling them off and selling them. And he was either taking them off of private property or state forests and selling them. And this guy got convicted. um, He was sentenced in a Ross County court to 16 months in jail in order to pay $4,864 in restitution. Officers also seized equipment used during the thefts, including chainsaws, trailers, and winching equipment. So, yeah, who knew? I, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know the I scenario, never. but it just feels like, man, that takes some some cojones, man. I'm gonna cut your tree down and haul it off and sell it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've heard of like a tree that's on the property line or close right. to it. I've heard of there being like disputes of like, hey, you cut that tree. That wasn't yours to cut. Right. And now we need to figure that out. And whether that's privately or in court depends on the situation, I guess. But, yeah, for a guy and it's not like he just came in and, you know, like, I don't know, like they were putting power lines in through a state park and he came in and took the wood that they, the trees they cut down to put the power lines in. Like he's full blown, like taking what sounds like a timbering operation or at least, you know what I mean? Like into the and cutting trees.
1: Yeah. And he's taking high. He, it says he's high value. Yeah. Black right. walnut and white oak trees.
2: Right. So, yeah, I just I mean, I don't know. None of cutting a tree down is a quiet thing. Right.
1: That's why so, I was like,
2: yeah. 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 It's kind of wild. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, you can't be secretive about cutting a tree down with a chainsaw. No. Especially I mean, high value high value trees, those are big trees. So, not only the cutting, but them timbering and falling, it's going to make a heck of a racket.
1: Yeah. So, so I, I I mean, I guess if you're right, if you're in a in a pretty cuz I I hear chainsaws running all the time and I don't think anything. Now, I don't have a big chunk of property, but you know, I guess you could hear a chainsaw running. And think, oh, neighbor's cutting trees or something, you know, and then that neighbor's thinking, oh, you're cutting trees. And when really neither of you are cutting trees, it's somebody over there stealing your trees. So, I, yeah, I just, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just wanted to mention that because it was just, I, I was like, I, I read this email and I was like, really? That's a thing. That's a thing that happens. People cut down trees and steal them. Who knew? So, yeah. If anybody yeah. has any I- info or, you know, any, any like additional information on this, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear how this sort of plays out. Like, how do you go about stealing someone's tree?
2: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I would imagine you'd have to have a pretty big piece of property too to not know. I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe not. Like you said, you hear the neighbor cutting. If, You know, if you have enough property where the neighbor is out of eyesight, you don't think anything of it.
1: Yeah. Or if it's, you know, out of, uh, you know, an out of state owner or maybe they're not out of state, but they, you know, they've got a piece of recreational property, but they live in, you know, they live up in Cleveland or somewhere up that way, but they've got a piece of property, you know, down in Washington County or something like that. This didn't happen in Washington County. It says it was, uh, where did I read that? Uh, Ross County, Ross County resident. So, but you get the drift, right? Get the point. If if it's a non-local property owner, maybe you could, you know, steal their trees. I don't
2: know. Maybe. I don't know. Like you said, though, I think it takes, that's a pretty brave and bold move to, because you can't sneak it out, you know, it's there's nothing right. secretive about it.
1: Right. it's not like jumping a fence and, you know, snatching up some morels and running off like it's, you know, silent, you leave no trace, you know, it's Right. It, this is like you said, there's a there's chainsaws, there's equipment, there's like it's not quiet, but I guess it happened. So Said it was theft totaled ten trees with a standing timber value of nearly four thousand dollars. So that's what I wanted to touch on there. So now, if you're ready, should we get into food?
2: Good to go, food.
1: All right. So first thing I want to touch on is I want to talk about some of the smaller game species first, and then get into to deer. You know, we primarily hunt deer, but, but we do a fair bit of, or started here recently doing a fair bit of squirrel hunting and turkey hunting, mostly spring. Uh, we don't really, you know, we might be, I haven't bought a fall turkey tag, but you know, I don't know if Jeff buys a fall turkey tag or, you know, opportunistic fall turkey hunters, if you will. I don't think any of us go out fall turkey hunting. But, uh, so for Turkey, my two, my two tops are just the classic fried Turkey nuggets with the Turkey breast. Like I made those, uh, Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's cause I didn't get a Turkey this year. So it was my Turkey from last year, but I fried up a bunch of, of you know just cubed up the the breast meat and fried that stuff up and it's just man cuz you know Ella's 3 going on 4 right so chicken nuggets are on the menu somewhat frequently right she she likes chicken nuggets and I don't know a kid that doesn't but huh, man yeah. just a like a homemade fried nugget it just blows all these other like fast food nuggets out of the water it's just and it's easy, right? You just bread them up, fry them in oil and enjoy. Right. So that's, that's a, that's a good go-to for Turkey breast meat for the legs I've done. And this, it's a like low and slow, right? This, if that's the thing you got to remember with the legs, right? Cause they, there's those Turkey walk on those legs all the time. And so basically just put them in a pot, of, you know, you can season the water, or whatever in water or stock and just simmer the legs for hours, like low and slow. I'm talking three, four, five hours until the meat gets tender because it's going to take a while to break all that stuff down and then pull it out, shred it up And you can keep it like that for a while in the fridge if you're, you know, if you don't want to do this all at once. But then what I did is a, it's a Hank Shaw recipe for turkey carnitas. And basically you then take that shredded meat, put it back in a pan with some oil and uh, like fry those shredded bits up. You don't bread them or anything, but just fry them so that they get like those crispy ends and stuff on them and make turkey carnitas. And that was really good. But that's a you know, that's not a quick after work I'm gonna whip I'm gonna whip this up. It's like a, you know, there's some prep involved with that, right? It's prep. like I said,
2: yeah, there's some low and work.
1: slow couple hours. And you can break it up, right? Do the do the simmering one day and then make the carnitas quick after work one day kind of thing. But those are kind of my I really like those two for um, turkey.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I've i never, if you listen to our previous episodes, I've never shot a turkey, so I don't have a whole lot to add to the turkey recipe. But what I have heard and what I do know is you just have to go into turkey with the mindset of it's wild turkey. Yeah. Your tur- you know, your, your wild turkey is not going to taste like your butterball from the store.
1: Yeah.
2: They're entirely different your apples and oranges.
0: Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. like
2: you said, the the legs of a wild turkey take some time to make them tender and palatable, you know, versus a turkey leg off a butterball, well that that turkey was probably in a pen its entire life and never really walked much. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just it's a different animal. You can't serve a wild turkey like you would a butterball which is fitting, you know, like you said, it's around Thanksgiving right now. It's just different. It's not going to taste the same. And if you expect it to, you're not going to like wild turkey.
1: Yeah, you're going to be disappointed.
2: Right, right. So you just got to, I mean, there's plenty of recipes to make it very, very good, you know, even better than a butterball turkey. But it's just, you got to acknowledge the fact that they're different.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I guess one other thing I'll add is, is a lot of this stuff, like, you know, none of us are chefs or anything, you know, we don't, we don't cook for a living. We enjoy eating wild meat. And so, you know, we found different ways by Googling recipes or using wild game cookbooks. So a lot of this stuff that we're going to talk about comes from either Hank Shaw's, um, wild game cookbook called Buck Buck Moose. That's for basically your, what I'll call your big game, right? Your deer, your antelope, your moose, your elk, that kind of stuff. All, all of that stuff can kind of be used interchangeably. Just the cuts are bigger and or smaller. And then um, Steve Ranella's the meat eater, uh, what is it? Meat eater cookbook? Meat eater fishing game cookbook. So yeah. I'll put links to, to both of those both of those cookbooks in the show notes if you guys are interested, but that's where a lot of these sort of recipes or or things come from. And then you can also um, sign up for, well, you don't have to sign up for, but you can use Hank Shaw's website, which is honest-food.net, or just, you know, Google Hank Shaw. I'll put a link to his website in here too, but he's got tons of recipes for all different wild game species, whether, you know, it's fish, it's dove, it's turkey, it's elk, it's deer, it's, you know, he's got tons of stuff in there. So, lots of good recipes in that stuff. So, I'll, I'll make sure to have links to all of that in the show notes so you guys can find that. But that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. So, moving on to squirrel. So, like I said, we're, you know, we're by no means hardcore squirrel hunters, but I do enjoy some squirrel hunting. And so one thing that we had here recently, and I didn't make it, so I can't comment on how it's made, but I, I, I think I've mentioned on here before how my, my mother-in-law makes killer pot pies. And now she usually makes them with chicken, but, uh, I had a few squirrels left over from last year, and so I recently had, you know, I, I cooked this meat up. She said, if you cook the meat up, I'll, I'll put it in a pot pie for you. So I recently had her make um, squirrel pot pies, which turned out quite nice. And uh, so if you know how to make a pot pie or you know somebody that knows how to make a pot pie, I recommend putting some squirrel meat in one instead of some chicken because it's a good way to uh, eat squirrels the other thing and and jake you you can attest to this right because i think you made these is the uh buffalo squirrel legs as another way to, to eat squirrel
2: yeah yeah i again i'm not by any means a professional but i did make some buffalo squirrel legs or squirrel hot legs however you want to call them um, and that came know. out of
1: the meat eater cookbook, right? He's got a recipe in yeah. there in there. For, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they turned out good. I mean, again, it's different. You got, you just have to keep your mind open. You know what I mean? It's different than going to the local sports pub and eating hot wings. You know All what right. I mean? It's, it's a wild animal. It's going to be, it was a little tougher, a little chewier, but again, it's was good i mean it wasn't that it wasn't good yeah. it's just you know they're a lot smaller than a buffalo wing at the sports bar you know what i mean it's because a chicken leg is a lot bigger than a squirrel leg um but it was good i enjoyed it like i said it's a good way to eat wild meat i mean i i'd make them again if i had or i will make them again you know when i get squirrel yeah. it's a good way.
1: I mean you can put buffalo sauce on just about anything and make
2: it right. Make (laughs) make it it good. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Right. It's up there. uh,
2: It's up there with bacon and cheese. It makes everything better.
1: Right, yeah. I want to pause here briefly to talk about our sponsor, Monster Whitetail Grub. So Monster Whitetail Grub is a great deer feed company and they make a great product. We've had really good success with the product. And the good thing is now that the rut is winding down and gun season is over we we do have the extended gun season coming up but deer are going to be getting back on that food to cover food to cover pattern right and so feed is a great tool to get deer on your property if you got a small piece of property or to get them on a pattern and fill those last tags that you've got so if you want some feed I would encourage you to check out Monster Whitetail Grub. Like I said, it's a good product. We've had very good success with it. We just stocked up on a bunch for the remainder of the season. So get it while the getting's good. They support us, and they make a great, great product. So link in the show notes again, as always. That's that's the best way to find stuff that we talk about during the podcast. Link in the show notes on how to get a hold of them and order some of their stuff and with that let's get back to the episode so the other way and I haven't made them this way ever but I remember as kids we would go squirrel hunting down at the cabin and I think dad just like roasted them whole do you remember that he would put them in that roasting pan with like potatoes and I think a little bit of liquid in there and cover it in foil
2: yeah it's do you remember yeah. that yeah, I vaguely remember him. Yeah. And it's uh, like pick them apart after they were cooked. It was like a
1: Yeah. I remember them being good. So, any other small game tips or or recipes you want to mention before we move on to whitetails?
2: Um I mean, you made those or was it you or Jeff? I don't know. One of you made those pheasant. Oh, the dove. Dove poppers. That's what it was. Or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. Not pheasant. I apologize. Yeah, dove. Those yeah. turned out really good. Yeah.
1: So I made, they weren't, they weren't really like jalapeno poppers. Um, but th- basically I took dove breast and I put a piece of just green pepper in there and then rolled it in bacon, put a toothpick in it, and grilled those. And, I mean, you know, like we said before, right, put, put bacon on anything, right, and it's, it's all of a sudden quite nice. So if you wanted to taste the dove, I, you know, that wasn't really a good way to, to prepare them, right? It was, it was very much a, a bacon dish with dove filling, <laughs> If you will, but I mean, it, they were good. They disappeared quick. Yeah. So I would, I would, I guess I would definitely make those again. I would like to try them as jalapeno dove poppers, but you're, I, you know, they're more of like an appetizer. I, I would say they're not going to be, yeah,
2: that's kind of um, how I would think of them. They're good for yeah. like a party or something. You put them out on a plate and they'll disappear pretty quick.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're real good for, for that kind of thing. So now on to venison. So as we've gotten older, right, we've, we've tried to expand our, our, what's the word? Uh, Venison usage, right? We're trying to use more and different cuts, right? We've, we've discovered the, the, the bounty of venison heart, right? We've all, we've always just left those in the gut pile, and and here recently over the past couple of years, discovered that boy, I wish I hadn't have been leaving those in the in the gut pile all along.
2: Ain't that the truth?
1: Because they're real good.
2: They are real good. Like I would argue, they are the if not the best piece of meat off a of deer. Definitely top two or three. Yeah. Like they are real good.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you can get past the fact that it's a heart, and once you get it trimmed up and everything, it you know, it doesn't even look like a heart.
2: No, it's nothing but the most tender steak you'll ever have.
1: Right, yeah. So, why don't, why don't you, because I know you've, I think you've, at this point, probably cooked more of them than I have, so why don't you run through how you like to prepare them?
2: Uh, again, this is from... Uh, the meat eater, one of the meat eater books, um, how I kind of prepare them or prep them to cook, I guess. Um, you basically cut, I mean, you'd have to visualize a heart, I guess, or everyone that's harvested a deer has seen a deer heart. Um, you cut the top off with has a lot of like the valves and arteries and veins that all comes into the top of the heart, a lot of the arteries and everything. So you cut all that off, um, and when you cut that off, it'll open up. You'll be able to see the different chambers of the heart. Um, anyone who has any anatomy background, there's four chambers to a heart. And you basically run water in through there and get all the blood and clotted. It'll be co- – it's almost like jello, yeah. coagulated, dark red brown almost like coagulated nastiness basically yeah so you run water in there and it'll run in one chamber and shoot down through and out the other because that's how your heart works um so you blow all that stuff out with water basically just at the sink um now once you get it cleaned out uh the way that i cut it up is i basically just cut it into like i said almost like stakes half inch slices, just straight. You lay it down on its side, basically, and I just cut straight down through it. Um, And all the way down, section it up all the way down. And then I've made it two different ways. I've just made it, just fried it in some oil, basically, and put some spices and seasoning on it, just straight that way, um, whatever your favorite you almost can treat it like a steak at that point. So like your favorite steak rub, so to speak. Um, I've done it that way. And then I've also marinated it in a marinade that, you know, I've kind of come up with myself or any cookbook again, treat it like a steak almost, um, marinate it and cook it that way. Um, and I basically, I've never actually cooked mine on the grill. I've always pan fried them. I'm sure they'd be excellent on the grill. I just haven't, Done it. Um, and then you can either, you know, you eat it, you cook it basically like a steak. You, you know, venison is a little, by default, a little less fatty and juicy, so to speak, than beef. So you kind of have to be a little bit low and slow with it. You don't want to make it overcook it. You know what I mean? You got to take,
1: yeah, it's
2: a shorter cooking time, but that's with in general with venison versus beef. Um, but yeah, I just cook it in some oil and then I, like I said, I doctor it up just like I would a steak basically. And I, you know, if I'm giving it to the kids, I cube it up after I've cooked it. Um, and they devour it. If I'm eating it, my wife won't eat it. But (laughs) if I'm eating it, I leave it whole and eat it kind of like I would a steak. I just put a whole circle at that point. It's a circle um on my plate but yeah basically i just cook it like a steak and serve it up that way um Lindsay won't eat it she just can't get past the fact that it's a heart uh yeah. if i could convince her to just try it i know she would love it because honestly it's like it's almost like a if i had to explain it in terms of like beef and like the it's so tender it's almost like a prime rib Okay. It's you know what I mean? It's like it's there is no toughness to it. It's just right. all that like real tender. So yeah, it's really really good. And again, I'm no professional chef, so anyone who has any ability to actually cook, <laughs> so to speak, I'm sure will make it taste even better than I can. Yeah. But just me you know, basically Joe Schmo, who doesn't know anything about cooking. I can follow a recipe in a cookbook and I just throw a little bit of this and a little bit of that and it is really, really good.
1: So I do mine a little differently. So I do the same thing. I flush the hearts out, you know, run them under cold water, get all that gunk out of there. But then instead of slicing, you know, like laying the heart on its side and and making slices i look in the top of the heart and you'll see right there's thick sections and thin sections and where like the the wall of the heart gets thin i make a, a vertical cut through that from the top of the heart down to the bottom and sort of open it up if you will and then slice it into like Three or maybe four, probably three, like, major chunks. And so you end up with, like, three thick chunks of meat. And then I grill them like that. And... So so I have cooked them on the grill. And you just cook them until, you know... You wouldn't really want to take them anything past medium, I would say. And then... I slice them up you know and and eat them like that and they've turned out really really good
2: yeah, so, yeah. I uh, my wife has been out of town the last few days and like I said she doesn't eat it so I'm in charge of feeding myself and the kids so we got after my buckheart the last two days and nice it was quite nice my son yeah. loved it Lily is a little older and she's she did try it but i think her mom's got her convinced that it's not good because it's hard (laughs) yeah she secretly liked it i think she's just like daddy that's the heart yeah (laughs) but like you said once it's cut up and cooked i mean you don't you you won't know the difference
1: right Yeah. yeah
2: But, so, yeah, my son was just smashing it the last two days. Him and I have been eating. We ate the whole thing in the last two days. It's been nice.
1: The other, and I don't keep these because, you know, not that they're gross, but by no means, you know, what I say they're gross, but I just, I don't know. I don't prefer them is the liver. But Dad has been saving the livers, and he said, you know, he, he again, I think this was a... Um, a liver preparation that we found in Hank Shaw's buck buck moose on how to soak them and and prepare the livers, but he really likes them. Him and Mom have been having venison liver and onions and and tearing that stuff up. So yeah. if you like liver and onions, if that's something you know, if, if like beef liver is something that you like, that's a that's another good way to use another part that normally gets left in the gut pile.
2: Right. Yeah. And again, I'm not a big liver eater. I don't, My, you know, dad saved the liver from my buck cause he helped me kind of process it and he debated it cause he had just had liver from when we were down rut weekend. Cause again, anytime any of us get a deer, we give him the liver. Right. But, um, he debated it. He was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And then he called mom and she told him to bring it home. So, um, I know they made that. He sent me a picture of liver and onions. They made that. But as far as I know, the most important part of the liver is you've got to get all the blood out, which is the soaking. It's a soaking process. Um, You got to soak it in whatever it is. Again, I'm not super familiar because I don't do it, but it's I think milk or at least water. But I think milk, they say, works really well, too. Um, But you got to draw all the blood out of that liver so it doesn't have that real irony taste. Okay. Um, But again, any cookbook with a liver recipe, I'm sure we'll go over that as to how to do that and what the best way is. But yeah, liver and onions is definitely something I know the old man and mom enjoy.
1: Yeah. So now I want to get into or I guess we should get into in this, you know, some of the more I guess you'd say traditional cuts. So. I, you know, we grind a lot of our venison, right? That's how we use it. That's how it gets used up. I I always have grand plans of, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to cut tomahawk steaks and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do all this stuff. And then when it comes down to it, it's like, uh, I'm just going to grind most of this up. But, but that's, I mean, ground is for the phase of, of life we're in, right? Ground is so easy so convenient and it's so versatile right we we use it in everything right we make tacos out of it we make chili out of it we make spaghetti out of it like yeah we can do so much with it i even made um like beef and broccoli like chinese Hmm. but i made it with ground and so it, you know normally when I'm cooking with ground I really like to break my ground up and and um, oh, burgers I don't I don't know how I forgot burgers you can make burgers out of ground but because I was going for that more like Chinese kind of chunks of beef and broccoli I tried not to fool with the ground and leave it in kind of bigger chunks and that turned out good you know it's a little Different than like your traditional beef and broccoli, but I really liked it, you know, and, uh, basically just found a recipe online for beef and broccoli and I just made it with ground venison instead. So, but, but we, we do a lot with ground. I, I think you guys do a lot with ground. Now we, we, when we have ours ground, we don't add anything to it, but you guys typically have some additives added to your ground, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we add pork fat Our processor. I'm, I have no idea what the ratio or how much it's not a lot. Um, you know, for a typical, I don't know, dough, so to speak, your average deer, I want to say they add like maybe two pounds of pork fat total for all of it. Cause like I got a lot of my deer, I grind the whole thing, um, which I know is like the cardinal sin you don't, you know, the backstraps or the Holy grail or the tenderloins or, you know, I typically grind everything and that's just cause that's what my wife cooks with. Right. Um, so I, a beautiful backstrap or beautiful tenderloin does me no good if it never comes out of the freezer. Yeah. Um, so I typically grind pretty much all of my deer. Um, and that, yeah, you know, I think they, it's just a few pounds total of pork fat. So the ratio is not high. It's not you know, I'm, I don't know if you get 50 pounds of meat and they put a pound of pork fat, I don't know exactly the ratio at all. If you're someone who does it all yourself, you'd have to look that look into that more. Yeah. Um, but any processor, I would imagine if you ask them, Hey, could you add a little pork fat? They'd be able to do that. Um, it, I personally don't know that it makes a difference. I think it's more just my wife comes from a non wild game eating background and all she ever had heard before, her dad will not eat venison. He's like anti-venison. And, um, so I think she just grew up thinking it was no good. Um, never had it because her dad wouldn't eat it. So her mom wouldn't make it type thing. Right. Uh, her mom her mom likes it. But um, so I think it's more just a precautionary thing. She, we've never had it any other way type thing. But, you know, when you guys cook something at your house... Lindsay has no problem eating it and that's not, there's no pork fat in that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't taste a big difference personally. Um, but you know what they say? Happy wife, happy life. If she wants yep. it that way, I got no problem doing it that way. Cause like I said, I don't taste the difference. Um, and we do yeah. the simpler stuff with our ground. You know, I mean, we do spaghetti, burgers, tacos, anything you would use ground beef for. Basically we, substitute venison and it is you know we very 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 rarely ever get ground beef for anything right so so but yeah i mean burgers are kind of my i don't want to say claim to fame because it's nothing special but my family really loves when i make burgers beer burgers yeah um Like I said, my recipe for that is nothing special. I use breadcrumbs because that's like the primary problem that a lot of people have with venison. Ground venison is it doesn't stick together like ground beef does. Right. Um, So I put some breadcrumbs in to kind of form a patty out of it. And then I have no idea what the measurements are. But I use um, breadcrumbs. I use Worcestershire sauce. And then I use a couple again, spices out of the cabinet. I pretty much just open it up and dab a little bit of my hand and say, Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll put some of that in there. And I don't have a set, you know, two or three spices that I use. It's just whatever my wife has in there that I think would make a good burger. Um, and I,
1: do you have measurements for the breadcrumbs? Uh, No, just by feel
2: it's by feel. Um, unfortunately i don't have a measurement um i mean I, it's mostly by feel i just i, I just pour some in there i do I, I mean you obviously can overdo it you don't want to make like a cakey burger yeah. so to yeah. speak but um i mean so i guess i would suggest you know starting starting low and then if you realize your burgers are falling apart next time add more um, but for me it's by feel i just If you have a one pound chunk, I guess, of ground venison, you plop it in a bowl, you pretty much want to, again, it's nothing scientific about this, but I pretty much cover it, cover the one pound square in breadcrumbs and then fold it kind of over inside and mix it up. That's basically how I judge it. Okay. Um, You know, I don't, you don't want like a big mound of breadcrumbs or half a bowl of breadcrumbs by any means, but it's, it's cause you're not getting any, you're not doing it to add any flavor or anything. It's primarily to hold it together. Some people use eggs. Um, for me, breadcrumbs are just easier. Okay. Um, I've, I've, I've used eggs before, but again, I, my family and I, we prefer to have our meat a little on the more medium side. So that's where I worry about eggs if I'm not cooking it thoroughly, if there's a raw egg in there, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So that's where I breadcrumbs work for me. Yeah. So
1: you mentioned the the, the tenderloin, you know, there a little while back and I I am gonna go out on a limb there and say that the the tenderloins are a little bit overrated. Right, I think they're overblown because don't get me wrong, they are a great cut of meat, like tender, great cut of meat. But on a deer, they're they're so small, right? It's 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 not really unless you get a a, a big giant buck that has big tenderloins, I guess, but they're generally not enough to feed your fam- you know, if you have a family of four or something it's generally not enough to feed your family. And so it's, it's kind of hard. Like I, you know, I, cause I've ground the tenderloins before too, you know, and the, the processor will call me like, Hey, your tenderloins are in here. You want, you know, and it's like, yeah, grind them because it, they, as much as I want to, I want to use them. A lot of times they don't get, you know, cause the opportunity never presents itself. Right. Right. If, I, if I was cooking for a, myself, right. oh yeah, I'll pull this tenderloin out, you know. But
2: I, it's kind of a lot of work for not a whole lot of product, so to speak. Yeah,
1: and I, I feel like sacrilegious about that. Like I feel bad every time I do it. But you know, the reality is, like you said, it doesn't do me a ton of good if it just sits in my freezer because the opportunity to cook it never comes up. Right. We're in a in a, you know, a phase of life where we are all about quick down and dirty meals. You know, something we can either throw in the crock pot or whip up real quick after work. And ground fits that bill for us and roasts. Right. That's a that's a good crock pot thing. So I am trying this year because in, in years past, I haven't really kept roasts. Um, unless I use a chunk of the backstrap as, you know, and cook that as like a roast. But this year I saved and and they go by a couple names. The, the, like the beef equivalent, I think is like a top sirloin or a top round. Uh, I've heard, I've heard them called a, a ball roast, but basically, basically it's that like football shaped hunk of meat on the deer's hind quarter and the reason I saved those is one they they come off really easy if you have a deer hanging by the hind quarters you find that knee joint and basically cut in you get below that knee cut straight back in till you hit the bone and then turn your knife parallel to the bone and come down and that that solid hunk of meat will basically peel out of there. And so you've got this, you know, it's a couple pound hunk of meat. Like I said, it's kind of football shaped and get it trimmed up and it's ready for the freezer. You know, I, I trim, there's not usually a lot of fat on it, but, but any of that, like, you know, where, where it connects to either the next muscle group or the bone you know, I kind of trim that up. Any of that Kind of silvery uh, membrane over the muscle, right? I like to trim that off till I get down to red meat, and you know, so that's just kind of filleting that stuff off of there. And then it's a it's a great looking piece of meat, right? And so I'm looking forward to cooking those this year. And what I'm what I'm hoping to do with those is our crock pot, and we've never. Honestly, we've never used this feature, but I'm going to try and use it. Our Crock-Pot has a a temperature probe included with it. So you can plug this temperature probe in, put it into the meat, and then set a desired temperature. And then once it hits that temperature, once the meat, the internals of the meat, hit that temperature, the Crock-Pot goes into warm mode. And so I'm thinking I'm going to, you know, cook this thing to, you know internal temperature 145 150 and give us that you know that sort of uh medium roast and then kind of shave it thin is is what i'm like i don't have a way to like really shave it but but just kind of carve it in thin slices and uh like maybe some coarse salt or something, coarse salt and pepper on them, and eat it like that. Which I haven't eaten dinner yet tonight, and so that's that's sounding
2: <laughs> making you salivate. It sounds good. Yes,
1: yeah. So if you hear me slobbering, that's why. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that as a roast instead of just like put it in the crock pot on high for four hours or whatever, you know, like I kind of want to pay a little more attention to it. And you know, cause like you said, a beef roast, you know, it's got that fat marbled in there and it all like renders down real nice. And this, I want to do a, a little differently. See how it turns out. I, it, again, it's not going to be a after work thing, but like on a Saturday or something, you know, a kind of a slow Saturday where I can keep an eye on Cause the other thing I don't know about, crock pots these days is they seem to cook hot like even on warm like we'll make chili or something and just set it on you know low for six or eight hours or something and then it goes into warm mode and you'll walk over and the stuff's still boiling on and the crock pot's in warm mode been in warm mode so i don't know how hot you know quote unquote warm mode is on our crock pot so i kind of want to be around once it hits that temperature to kind of be ready to pull it and be ready to eat sort of thing. But that's my idea. Um, Sounds good to me. So, and I, and I like the fact that they're easy to get off, right? It's, it doesn't take a lot of work to, to fool with them, right? They come off the deer pretty easy. Front shoulders, I, you know, like we said, we grind a lot of that. You you can, um, I, I saw a video and I, it's a, one of these things that I want to try someday is like a blade roast, a bone-in blade roast. So that upper part of the shoulder with the shoulder blade in it, right? You can separate that joint and you end up with a big hunk of meat. And I think if I remember, meat eater, like I said, Meat Eater has a video on this, but I think you braise it. So like you sear it in a hot pan and then you cook it in liquid for a long time and all that like connective tissue in there kind of melts out of there and and adds some flavor and things like that. And, you know, in the video, it looked real good. But again, it's not a quick after work thing. It's 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 a there's some time involved in preparing one of those. Maybe you could put it if you had a big crock pot, maybe you could put it in a crock pot and get similar results. But uh, might be might be something worth trying. The other thing, and I think I'm, I think I might try this this year is venison ribs. I've seen a couple videos on venison ribs, and it looks easy enough, right? You get that
2: get that stuff trimmed off the outside. How do you my thing with venison ribs is how do you cut them off with a bone saw or what do you?
1: Yeah. So you saw through them, saw them off like where they connect to the vertebrae and then saw them into like, you know, four inch lengths. And then, you know, you can cut them into slabs at that point. Or I think at that point, once they're cut into those shorter sections, I think you can just roll them up and freeze them like that. But I think you want to get a lot of that that fat and tissue kind of trimmed off the outside. I don't think they're going to be as meaty as like a, a beef rib or a pork rib. But I've heard from multiple sources that, you know, venison ribs are another one of those things that, Once you've cooked them, you're going to be upset that you've been leaving them in the the woods or been, you know, throwing them away all this time. So I'm thinking about, you know, like, like we said, this is, uh, before Thanksgiving. So we're coming up on gun season. So I'm thinking about trying to save some, some ribs this year and give those a try again. It's, it'll, it'll be a, a Saturday thing when I've got time, but I just, the, the the preparations that I've seen. I've, so Meat Eater, again, has a, a good video on this, and I'll link to this in the show notes. But uh, it it just looks really, really good and not all that hard to make. So anything else we want to touch on here before we shut her down?
2: Um, uh, trying to think of... Oh, the one thing I wanted to touch on that I don't know how I've forgotten. Again, you don't necessarily have to do it with ground. That's just how I typically do it because I grind most of my deer. But jerky. Oh, yeah. Um, Deer jerky or anything. I mean, the the processor can do all kinds of things with your deer. But um, deer jerky, I'm actually making some right now while we're recording this. Um, I use ground because, again, we grind a lot of our deer. And then a jerky gun and whatever, but you can make it from whole cuts of meat. That's another option.
1: Yep, that's a good, uh, that's a great way to to use up your venison, especially if you have some of that ground left over and you're you're wanting to get your freezer you know, like cleared out before you you know start stocking it back up. That's a great way to kind of use up a lot la- those last few packages of ground, or that's another good use for those hind leg muscles, right? Like that same thing, that sirloin tip would be a good one to slice because there's not a lot of, of, connective tissue running through it. It's a pretty clean piece of meat. And, uh, you could slice that one up into jerky and make, you know, more traditional jerky, if you will. So with that, like I said, we'll have links in the show notes to these videos, these cookbooks, and hopefully this will this will release after gun season, so hopefully you guys. At least I think it'll release after gun season. Pretty sure it will. It might release the Tuesday of gun season. No, it won't. No, it won't. I got my weeks mix, mixed up. So this will release after gun season. Hopefully you guys got some deer during gun season, and uh, you're going to be trying some of these, some of these, some of our favorite preparations or. Obviously, you guys all have favorite preparations, which if you have other ways that you like that are that are quick and easy, you know, they're, they're like I said, those good sort of quick after work, throw something together. Would love to hear them. Right. I'm always looking for different ways of cooking wild game, whether it's squirrels, whether it's turkeys, deer, whatever it is. Let us know. Send us your favorite recipes and uh, we might give them a try. So with that, thanks everybody for listening and uh, stay safe out there. Okay, so that's going to do it for this week's episode. Hopefully there was something that was helpful for you in there. Maybe it encourages you to to try something different. Keep a piece of the deer that uh, you don't normally keep. You know, maybe maybe you try some heart or, or something like that. And as I said in the episode, I'm always looking for different ways of preparing venison that are quick and easy that I can I can either prep ahead of time and then whip together after work or you know I can put in a slow cooker something that that is quick and easy that doesn't require a lot of uh time watching it or things like that something that I can put together after work quickly so if you've got those put them in the uh the comments on the post where we share this episode, or just send us a message. You, you guys know how to get a hold of us. We're Ohio Huntsman on Facebook, Ohio Huntsman underscore podcast on Instagram, or you can go to our website. We've got a contact contact us section on our website, OhioHuntsman.com. Lots of different ways to get in touch with us, and we like hearing from you guys. The other thing I want to tell you about is I just added a new Ohio Huntsman sticker to our our shop on our website so we've we've had our ohio huntsman decals which are the the vinyl decals or the transfer style decals you know a bumper sticker or, or whatever you want to put them on they work on anything but now we've got peel and stick stickers and a couple different sizes they range i think they're three by three all the way up to like a five and a half by five and a half sticker so if that's something you're interested in Go to ohiohuntsman.com/apparel, and there is a—you'll see a decals button there, and that's where they'll be. And so, with that, thanks for listening.